Flames of fire, I know that your head is white as wool, and I know it's your voice. Oh, wow, I just got a little wreck during that. It's so good just to set your eyes. When you set your eyes on Jesus and allow him to be the focus, you know what I mean? And just lose sight of everything else, that's so, so powerful. You know, I... uh contemplating when mail sends out the worship list, just to send it to everybody on the email list so you can learn the words to the song so you don't have to be caught up with what's going on on the screen. Because I'm telling you, I don't say that because of the screen. I say that because it's amazing when you can just shut your eyes and get in your place with him. You just shut your eyes and you get along with him and you lose sight of anything and everything else that's in the room. I'm telling you, you can go places. Sitting right here, you can go places in the presence of the Lord because you're not distracted, you're not looking around, you're not trying to see what's going on, who's coming in or anything like that. You're just setting your eyes on Jesus and it's amazing what he'll do. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited today. We have uh, uh, a baby dedication. We're going to dedicate Judah Emmanuel Sykes. You know how good the Lord is. Amen. You know how amazing the Lord is. Uh, Mel's dad came down to help a friend that he does prison ministry with move his daughter uh, out of Liberty at University in Lynchburg, Virginia. And they came into town, and it just happened to be this weekend. All right? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's a kiss from the Father. Amen. That's just a kiss from Daddy. So I'm going to ask Stephen and Mel and... The family, Tina, as I was, uh, this morning as we were in worship, you know, we were singing about how beautiful Jesus is. And our heart's desire every time we gather on a Sunday is to see Jesus. No matter what that looks like, whether it's in worship, whether it's in the Word, we want to be sensitive to what Jesus is saying and what He's doing, how He's moving in the room so that we can partner with Him. And this morning as we were in worship, the Lord brought this passage of Scripture in Luke 18, 15. It said, Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. I'm going to talk about that more in a little bit. <laughs> but I'm just amazed. Hear my heart. How clueless the disciples were the majority of the time. <laughs> and Jesus handpicked them. So there's hope for all of us. I'm just... <laughs> I put both hands up in the air. There's hope. But they rebuked him. But Jesus called, called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. He said, those who won't put their whole faith, their trust in me, like a child does its parents. They depend on their parents for everything. But, you know, we get grown up, and we get self-sufficient. Wow. Somebody help me. We, last week, I uh, spoke quite a bit out of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, and uh, we're going to visit that again. Uh, we're going to go back into Matthew. <clears throat> I also came out of Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, 14, and through 16 says this, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He said, you are a light. You don't have to pray about being a light. That's what you are, right? That established that we are a light and uh, that we need to let our light shine. So last week, uh, I shared some out of Matthew 14. I I talked about uh, Peter and the starts out in chapter 14 of John being beheaded, John the Baptist being beheaded, and then Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then Jesus walks on the water. (laughs) And uh, Matthew chapter 15, uh, it opens up. Jesus, verse 1, says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from, from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. You know, let's just pause for a moment. Isn't it amazing? Everything that Jesus was doing and that his disciples were doing, that they were so nitpicky, just trying to find something to throw him off on, that they were really concerned about them washing their hands because it was their tradition to do that. And they had been watching them and noticed they, they, they haven't been washing their hands. Is that funny to anybody but me? So he said, verse 3, he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? So Jesus turns it back to him. And uh, verse 4, he says, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor... then." He need not honor his father or mother. Thus, they have, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Okay, let me pause for a moment there. So he said this. There, Jesus, I mean, the word of God said in the commandments, he said what? Honor your father and your mother. Well, part of that, when he said honor your father and mother, is to take care of them financially. Kids, listen up. I need all the children. Go get the children back in here. <laughs> Part of the responsibility of that honor was to make sure they didn't go without because when they got old, you know, they didn't have retirement plans. Amen. That's right. They didn't have retirement plans from their job where they got a pension and they didn't, all that. They didn't have them. So it said, honor your father. And he said, what the Pharisees had taught them is this. And you, you know, I want you to understand. People get nervous when you talk about money in church. They get, they get nervous when you talk about money in church because they think that's what church always is. It's always talking about money. Somebody's wanting money. It's amazing to me that religion, uh, apart from God, men, let me say that, not really, men in their demonstration of their walk with God, wow, I don't, I don't want to say it, can get things so twisted because what the Pharisees had got, had what they had gotten to is this. They said, look, I know you're supposed to honor your father and mother, but if you take that money that you've set aside for your parents and just give it to us, God will say it's okay. That was their tradition. So what they were saying is go against the word and do what we want you to do and it'll be okay. God will think it's all right. And Jesus said, it's not all right. You transgress the command of God because of your tradition. And he said this, he goes on the next thing. He said, verse seven, hypocrites, you know, that's not a good thing. In case you were wondering, it's not a good thing for Jesus to just look at them and say, you hypocrites. 
Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. So he said, you've twisted it. There's things I've told you you should do that you've walked away from. There's things that you feel are lofty and noble and you teach those. And he said in Mark, he said, the traditions of men have made the word of God of no effect. And the same is true today. We see it in in church history that good people doing good things get distracted and and they make a tradition out of something and say, this is the way it has to be done. It has to be done like this all the time. And when they do that, they make their tradition a doctrine. And they say, if you don't do it like we do it, then you're wrong. And he said, what that does is it, it, it shuts off the power of God to work in that area in your life. You know, one that we talk about quite a bit here because we're a charismatic church is tongues. You know, I'm amazed at tongues and how tongues comes under attack. But it, it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul said this. We have denominations that just say it's of the devil, it's not God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, don't forbid anyone from speaking in tongues directly. Now that's straight in the word of God. He said, do not forbid anyone from speaking in tongues. The last verse of chapter 14, I believe it is. And he goes on saying, let everything be done decent and in order. And he said, don't forbid anyone to speak in tongues. But what a tradition of men said, well, that passed away. They take a few verses out of 13, pull them out and try to say that it's passed away. When that same passage, it says, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. Well, and he goes on and he lists knowledge. And I think, as I got revelation of the word of God, I thought, you know what? That might be true because there's no way they can have knowledge and just say, this is not God. They've just thrown it away. They've thrown knowledge away. It's passed away for them. But he said, don't forbid, but tradition of men will say, nope, that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to look. It's not supposed to be like that. You're supposed to dress this way, walk this way, talk this way. You're supposed to worship this way. So we set up all these traditions and say, this is what honors God. And we do it out of our tradition, not out of the word. And what that does is it shuts us down from the life that the word contains to set us free. So I'm not mad at people who do that. I just want you to understand, once you submit to that and you have to submit to it, once you submit to it, you cut yourself off from the power that's in the word of God in that area. Does that make sense? If you submit yourself to a tradition and just say, yes, I buy this because it's been taught. I won't ever forget one of the books that God really used in my life when I was in this time of transition of being an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James Version, only Baptist, <laughs> over into this charismatic tongue-talking, going after God, knowing that this is God. is a book by Dr. Jack Deere, and it was called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. Jack Deere was a, uh, a doctor of theology at Dallas Theological Seminary. And to say that as a Baptist, you almost had to go, oh, at the end of it. Because it was like, for the business world, it was like Yale or Harvard. That's what it was. It was the top of the chain, the food chain, when it came to theology. And uh, if you could get a degree from their school, then you had a ticket to go anywhere. Because, man, you were stamped with the golden ticket, and you could do anything. And so I'm, I'm hungry, and I'm looking uh, just really, you know. And I was, going, I was breaking all the rules of the tradition of men that I was brought up in because we were not supposed to watch TBN. That was no bueno. That was not good. There was stuff on there that could get you all twisted up and get you in trouble. And I was so hungry. I said, God, I got to know. I got to know. 
And I began to listen to different teachers. And I would, and what was so amazing is when I would listen to teachers who would talk about the presence and the power of God, when I would listen to them, my spirit man would just feel like it was going to come out of my skin. I mean, I could turn it and listen to something that I, I'm familiar with, and I, and I would be like, oh. And I would turn it back, and I'd go, oh. It was like somebody was breathing life into me. It was. It was Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He was breathing life into me, and I would watch that, and I would just be like, Man, that's amazing. And I got hungry and I began. And so one night, I, I don't remember if, it, if I got up and was watching on TV or if it was one afternoon when I came home uh, from work. I got off work before Tina. I picked Brianna up from, from uh, one of the grandparents' house and I would go home with her and I would cut on TV and I would start watching. Because at this time, Tina didn't even know. I was undercover. She would come home, and I'd, I would have cleaned up. I got rid of all the snot and tears and all that because I would just sit there, and I would watch it and weep. I'm like, God, there's more. There really is more. They're, they're not just talking about something. They're talking about you, and it's real. And uh, they were interviewing Dr. Jack Deere, and he said, they said, this is Dr. Jack Deere from Dallas Theological Seminary, and I'm like, oh, he's one of mine. What's he doing on there? Boy, he must be confused. Or my second thought, because I'm in this thing, I'm hungry, and I, there was so much life when I would listen to it, but there was still, my, not, my mind was so indoctrinated with all the other stuff, it was a war. So the other side was, he's going to set them straight. That's what he's going to do. So I'm listening, and he starts talking, and he, he, he begins to talk about how he was going to, he had invited this guy to come speak. He was a well sought after speaker. He was actually a medical doctor who was a believer and he would go and hold conferences in churches and just a dynamic speaker. And they were trying to get him to his huge church in uh, Texas. And uh, he was talking to, I think his last name is White, Dr. White. And Dr. White, he said, well, send me a, an agenda of the meetings and what they'll be. In the last meeting that he had was, he said, I'm going to teach on healing and pray for the sick. And, uh, and Dr. Jack Deere said, no, you're not. He said, wait a minute. He said, you sought after me. You called my office. You tracked me down. You gave me all these dates, said, please, you just pick one. We want you to come. And, and now you tell me I'm not. He said, if I come, this is what I'm going to speak on. And he said, but what I want you to know, I'm just going to give you script. He didn't, he didn't go into uh, an argument with him. He didn't get confrontational with him. He just gave him scriptures. He said, I want you to go back and look at these scriptures. And the short story is this. Uh, Jack Deere went back and he started looking at those scriptures and he said he just wept because he realized what he had been teaching all his life was the tradition of men. It was not the doctrine of God. He said, what I've been teaching is what's been handed down to me from the professors before me. And it wasn't the doctrines of the word of God. And he called him and he said, please come. And he, I won't ever forget. He said, when he came, they were having the service and he, he, uh, he gave the altar call and people came down. He said, and this woman came down who was uh, sick in her body, had been sick for years. And we had put her on the prayer list and stuff like that. He said, but she came down and Dr. White prayed for her and she was healed right there on the spot. And, and Jack Deere said, I wept because the Lord reminded me of the woman who came to Jesus. And she said, I've suffered. He, she, he said, she suffered much in the hand of her physicians and got none better, only worse. And he said, because of the tradition of men, that's what we've done to this woman. And she was gloriously set free right there at the front. So I'm listening to him. I'm undone. I'm wrecked. I'm crying. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. He's from Dallas Theological Seminary. 
It's true. It's all true. It's really true. The Bible's true. <laughs> the Bible's really true. And I, so what it, it awakened me, and it was about that time that Jesus gave me my life verse because it was totally contrary to what I had all formal training. And that was Hebrews 13, 8 that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because what I had been trained is Jesus was this way on the earth, then he died and he went to heaven, and now things are different. Even though we're in him, it's different now because he's in heaven, and we're just here holding on until he comes back to get us. There was no power. There was no victory. There was no authority. There was no uh, uh, life. It was just, yep, it's going to be bad. Expect it to be bad and hang on till the end. But then the word of God was awakened to me, and I realized that Jesus Christ really is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it, it set me on fire. And I look back at that time, and I, and I too, and I'm be straight, there are still times today, I don't know how many years out, 20 years out, 20 plus years out, uh, well over 20 years out, that there's still that there are a mindset that'll come up of a of teaching or, or something, and I'll look at it a different way and, and have to go, nope, here's what the Word says. Because Romans, so we have to renew our minds. Holy Spirit makes us a new creation. We're born again, but we have the opportunity and the privilege of renewing our minds to the truth of the Word. And if we don't watch, we'll allow the traditions of men, or even how we've always done it, to stop us from everything that God has for us. As I was looking at this and I was reading, I continued reading. He said, verse 8, I'll go back. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. When, verse 10, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. Now, I've, I'm sure you have. You know, you've read a passage before, and this is why it's the living word of God. But you've read a passage before, and you, you got a nugget out of it, and you go, man, that's awesome. And then you go back and you read it again. You get something totally different out of it. And you go, how did I not see that the last time I read this? Why, how could I, why wasn't this that profound to me at that point that it is right now? And I think it's because God walks us in revelation as we can understand and as we can grow in it. And he gives us more and more and more. And one of the things that he showed me in this is these two words. Because he said, this is a condition that you see a lot in the church It's people here, but don't understand. And the same thing has been in my life. He said, Todd, you've heard a lot. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I even go back, and it's encouraging and discouraging at the same time. I'll go back and I'll look at notes that I've preached from five, six, seven, eight years ago. And I go, man, that was good. That was really good. But I haven't walked that out consistently in my life. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? There was things I had revelation on. God revealed it to be true to me. It was impacted me. I even preached on it. But then I go back and say, you know what? I didn't walk that out with conviction in my life where I, I said from this point on, this is going to be the, the standard that I live by. I allowed circumstances. I allowed situations to cause me to go back to an old way of thinking. So what happened is I heard but I didn't understand. Are you with me? Everybody still with me? Bless you. So the word understand, here's what it means. 
It means to put together. I love that. The word understand here, he said, he said, how is it? He said to them, hear and understand. Now what? Not what goes out of the mouth defiles a man, but what comes, I mean, not goes, I'm sorry, I said that backward. Not what goes into a mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. This defiles a man. So the word understand there means this, to put together, to comprehend, to consider, to understand, to be wise. But the one that was so powerful to me is the the first definition means to put together. So when Jesus said, I want you to hear what I'm saying and I want you to put it together so that it connects, that it makes sense, that it's not just knowledge that you pack away because when you pack knowledge away, what you become is more religious in understanding but not more uh, powerful in demonstration of how you walk out what you know in your mind. Does that make sense? I think Bill Johnson said it this way. When we hear truth and don't apply it or don't understand it, we become, uh, it it just makes us more religious. So the next time that we hear it, here's what we'll say. I know that. I know that. Yeah, I know that truth. I can even tell somebody about that truth. But then if we evaluate, am I walking that truth out in my life? But I believe that's the difference from hearing and understanding. And Jesus is telling his disciples this, not just the Pharisees. He's telling his disciples, hear and understand. Because there's another theme in these three chapters that I saw. That the disciples were quick to just want to send people away. If they didn't feel that right away they had the means nor the answer, instead of processing it and walking it out, you know what their answer was? Send them away. Just get them away. Get them out of here because they're making me uncomfortable. Get them out of here. I don't like being uncomfortable. Just get rid of them. I mean, we see that. We see that with, uh, with the, when they were feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000. Jesus said, we're going to feed them. He said, they said, send them away. Send them away. In the next chapter right here, let's keep looking in, in um, chapter 15. Verse 12, he says, then his disciples came to him and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? (laughs) His disciples were like, time out, Jesus. Send them away, but don't offend them. (laughs) Because they don't like it when they're offended. (laughs) And they'll come back at us. Look what Jesus said. He wasn't like, oh, snaps. I really wasn't trying to offend anybody. He answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Why would he say that? Because they had, they were, what did he, how did he preface that? He said, you teach your traditions over the truth of the word of God. And he said, they've blinded themselves because they hold to their traditions. They see the facts. They see the truth of the word who says who I am and what I've done. And they're constantly coming to him saying, if you're the son of God, do this. If you're the son of God, do that. And they're trying to say, well, if you're the son of God, why don't you make them wash their hands? I mean, really, their hands are dirty. They should be clean. And Jesus said, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. And we could have a praise party, Rottlar. Because shout hallelujah. I know I'm not the only person that wish I had a rope on my words. You know what I'm talking about? You say them and you go, oh, snap. No, that one's not going anywhere. I'm going to poop that one back. 
because that's not how I wanted that to go. That ain't going to happen, but we can't. Once we release them, and again, that's why what Sam did was so powerful. That he said, well, that's something everybody knows. And you know what? That's what the enemy will say to you too. Well, everybody knows that. That's not new. That's not profound. It doesn't matter. It's truth. And when you proclaim it, you give power to it. You empower it to do what God, he said his word will not, I said his word will not return to him void, but it will prosper in the thing where he sends it. So by Sam being obedient, and, and I'm not just highlighting him and not the others, but what God really spoke to me is he said, well, everybody knows this. But when he spoke that into Judah, and did you notice he spoke directly to Judah? <laughs> Come on. He spoke directly into Judah. So what that did is it awakened something on the inside of little bitty Judah. It unlocked something on the inside of him that's now he can walk that out as a destiny in his life. You go, you're getting carried away. No, I'm understanding. I'm understanding. Tina and I were talking this week and I told her, I said, God is showing me that there are truths that we know, but we're not walking in them as aggressively as, and you know, this is the, I've heard it used for all types of different things, but one that I can just, I think is the clearest because we understand money is this. If you had a checking account at the bank and you knew how much was in your account, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't feel apprehensive about writing a check. If you had a million dollars in your account and you were going to go out and spend a thousand, you wouldn't be like, oh man, I don't know if I should write a check for a thousand dollars. I just don't know if that would be, I don't know what the bank will say. I mean, they're holding my money so, they're so nice that they hold my money for me. I mean, I really don't know if I should impose on them and ask for a thousand, a thousand dollars. And we think when we stand in what God's told us that we're, we're, what we're doing is we're commanding God. No, God says, this is who you are. I've given this to you. It's in your account. It's there. All I need you to do is start writing checks. And the primary way that we write checks is with our mouth. The way that we take out of the account that's been given to us is by declaring what God has said. And when we make that declaration, he, he said in Romans, we believe, therefore we speak. God believed and he spoke. We believe, therefore we speak. We're created in his image. He's a speaking God. Jesus could not come to the earth until it was spoken out through the prophets. When they prophesied, this is who he is, and this is what he'll look like. When the last prophet had said, this is what he'll look like, at the appointed time, a baby was born in a manger. Why? Because men were faithful to stand. I mean, can you imagine what it was when Isaiah said, yeah, there's going to be a Savior, and he's going to be born from a virgin. Somebody lock him up. Put one of them pretty white coats that ties in the back. We all know virgins don't have babies. Right? We look at it now and we go, oh, Isaiah, that was awesome. <laughs> oh, I'd love to have that anointing. That Isaiah anointing. He was not loved in his day because he would, he would speak. He would say, arise, shine, let your light shine. Isaiah would speak it and we look back at it now and we go, oh, man, that's awesome. Those are powerful, heavy words. But when he spoke them, he was speaking them to a crowd that was like, what? Really? He's, uh, he's been out eating too much crazy stuff in the woods or something. He got him some bad berries or something. He then went loopy. We look at it and we go, oh, wow, that's powerful. But he had to speak it out when it didn't make sense to anyone else. Right? 
There's still some things that have been spoken out in Old Testament prophecies. No matter, a wheel and a wheel and all these beasts with four heads and things like that. I'm like, <laughs> I knew guys that act like that when I was in school. <laughs> but they were supplementing with some stuff <laughs> to help them see that kind of thing. <laughs> Just saying. But God said, I've put that power on the inside of you, and it's not enough to hear it. Look at the disciples. They walked with Jesus. He said to them, hear and understand. Put it together. Put it together. And and just as we saw last week, Jesus, uh, he feeds the 5,000, and then he walks on water. And look at at this. We shared this last week, but I want to... Verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. This is when Peter sank. Immediately caught him and, uh, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now, I want you to remember that because we're going to go somewhere in just a minute with it. Uh, and in the context of all this, what's going on, we see here that uh, Jesus said this thing about the Pharisees. He told them, he said, Isaiah spoke well about you. He said, you draw near to me with your mouth and honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrine, the commandments of men. Then we, uh, verse 15, that's where we stop 14. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you still without understanding? What did he tell him? He said, hear and understand. He, he looks at Peter when Peter says, explain this to us about going in doesn't hurt, going out what hurts. I'm not tracking Jesus. Help me. You lost me. I'm in, I'm in the weed, high weed somewhere. And Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Do you, not, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? We don't have to have a lesson on that, right? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So Jesus just talked about this. He said, I want you to hear and understand. I want you to know that what comes out of you, what comes out of your heart, not just what you put in, but what comes out is where your heart speaks. And he said, that's what can defile you. So he has this discourse with them. And look at verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from uh, from the region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came to him, came and urged him saying, look what they said. What did they say? What are they constantly doing? Trying to send people away. What is Jesus trying to do? Draw people in. They're trying to send people away. I've said it before. I believe with all of my heart, when Jesus met the woman of Samaria at the well, he sent his disciples to go on an errand just so he could minister to the woman because they would have immediately said, Jesus, send her away. You can't be talking to her. She's a dog. She's not supposed to be. We don't communicate with them. They're heathen. We don't talk to them, especially this woman. Not good, Jesus. Jesus. Let's float on to the next town. Because, you know, his feet didn't touch the ground. Because they would have gotten dirty. Just kidding. 
Let's go to the next town. I, I've said before, Jesus had to see, he had to send the, the church down the road so he could minister to the ones God sent him to minister to because they would have sent her away. What they say here, look, and why did they want her sent away? This is beautiful. Send her away for she cries out after us. She's really annoying us. She keeps crying out after us saying, and, and one of the things that you'll notice when she came to him, she said this, oh Lord, son of David. As I've studied that out some, <clears throat> what she was coming in is she was trying to approach him in the traditions and as a Jew, instead of just coming and crying out to him. She was coming on the pretense of, well, this is who I've heard you are. Would you do this for me? And then he said this, Jesus Again, not afraid to offend people, not uh, to be offensive, but to draw the truth out of them. You with me? So he, he answered, not a word. She said, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed, but he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him and saying, Lord help me. You know what she did? She dropped all the formalism, all the titles, and all the pretense and just said, Lord, help me. I know who you are. I know you can help me. I know that this may be out of time. And I, I, you know what it reminds me of? When Jesus was at the wedding. See, I believe when we know who he is and we know who we are, that there, I believe there's possibility for us to pull something into, into time, out from time into today that was made before another day. Does that make sense? She did. His mother did. <clears throat> he said, Mom, it's not my time. What are you doing? She said, just do whatever he tells you. Jesus said, it's not time for me to do this yet. She said, just do whatever he tells you, right? I'm not twisting scriptures. That's what happened. <clears throat> Here, he said, I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And she said, Lord, help me. Help me. And she pulled into time right then because of her declaration of understanding who he was, that he was the answer for her demon-possessed daughter. She pulled into time right then deliverance for her daughter. Look at the response she gets versus just a few uh, days earlier when they're walking on the water. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. He says, come. Peter steps out on the water, starts looking at everything that's going on, and he sinks. Now, if anyone had opportunity to look at circumstances and be upset by them, this woman did. Because Jesus looked at her and he said, no, I can't give the children's bread to the dogs. Right? Listen, but 26, but he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Her daughter was healed from that very hour. You know what? She walked through a fence. He had just said, Peter said, Jesus, don't you know, you're going to offend the Pharisees. And I think what Jesus was saying is if they can get over the offense, they can get into me. Because this woman, she got over the offense. She said, it doesn't matter. Even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs. That's so profound. 
that Jesus had done all these things in front of all the Pharisees, and she surely has her testimony of that. But he had done these signs in front of the Pharisees, in front of his disciples, but yet Jesus had to tell them, I need you to hear and understand. I need you to put it together. Because once you get it put together, you can see it like I see it. Like a puzzle, right? They're not, I'm not a fan. Nathan, he likes puzzles. I'm not a fan. I can do, I can do we have our small group over at, at uh, Katie and Nathan's. I can do Ace's puzzles. Because <laughs> the pieces are this big. And there's like 30 of them or so, but they're like, the puzzle's this big and the pieces are this big. When I speak at the senior center in Gibsonville, they do the puzzles. They're like 50 million pieces, and it's only this big. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know how many pieces, but I'll walk over there, and I'll look for like 10 minutes until I notice that people are looking at me. I'll move a few pieces around. I go, I hate this, and I'll walk off because I can't find 90% of the time, I can't even find a piece to put in the puzzle. And look at the box. The box is beautiful, but the puzzle, there's little pieces everywhere. And I look, and I go, this is not fun makes my head hurt. And I walk off. But when the puzzle's put together, you get to see the beauty of how all the pieces did their part. And what's so amazing is each little piece has its place. And when it's not there, I don't care if you've got most of the puzzle together, that one little piece can wear you out. Amen. <laughs> One little piece can wear you out because it's not, you can get the picture, but you can't see the full picture. And he said, I need you to put it together because when you see the picture, you'll understand. When you see the picture, you'll understand that outreach is not what a group of people from the church go do, but the outreach is who I am because that's who he empowered me to be, to be a witness everywhere I go. And not just to be a witness, but to make disciples. Can we, can I get an amen right there? I mean, how different will the church look as we make disciples, not decisions, or not believers? But we walk with people and we teach them and, and just do life with them. Just like, that's what this dedication was. It was a baby discipleship beginning. It's saying, we're going to disciple this child, and we're going to teach this child how to walk with God. That was the custom of the day. And when we look in the context of the Bible, they would... <clears throat> They, they would have apprentices, and that apprentice would come up under, and they would work with whoever they were going to work with. Jesus was a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter, and he worked with his dad. He learned how to work with wood, and he did all of that so that he would be known as a carpenter with his dad. So when he turned 13 and became of age, when he went to town to get supplies in the authority of his father, nobody said, oh, you're just Joseph's boy. No. They knew who he was, and you know what else? He knew who he was. So when he went out, he knew how he went out. And I believe that those, that type of training is what helped establish him and who he was when he went out, when he knew his father. And he knew, I'm sent out on my father's business. So whether you like it or not, I'm going to do what dad says do. And I know I have dad backing me to do it. That's good. That's so good. I know I've got dad's backing. I remember when I came up out of the water, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I haven't done a thing, hadn't done a thing yet, but he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So I'm gonna go out in his blessing and understanding that he's pleased with me because of who I am, not what I do. See, as we hear and understand, 
I'll just be straight. I've done a lot of hearing in my life. And I'm thankful the Lord is so tender and gracious that he gives us time to put it together. And I look at these disciples and I go, and they did life with him. 24-7, 365. They did life with him and he would still have to look at them and say, hear and understand. And then we see a few pages over, they didn't get it. They still didn't get it. They didn't put it together. And I know they didn't, they didn't even have what we have. They didn't have Holy Spirit living in them. Isn't that amazing? We have Holy Spirit in us who's our teacher, our counselor, our comforter, our guide that we can rely on, we can depend on, we can lean into. And he said, I will teach you and instruct you. I will lead you and direct you. We have Holy Spirit living in us. And Jesus said, I've put him in there so that you can put it together so that you can understand. And I'm telling you, in my life, I'm putting some things together. And what, what happens is this. You just begin to live who you are. You don't go to do a thing. You just live who you are. 